Well, you may wish to have your Bible open in the fifth chapter of Matthew as we continue uh, through this very well-known portion of God's Word as the Lord Jesus Christ is teaching on the mountainside. If you listen to the wisdom of the world, uh, you will find that for most people, uh, what they believe is that the most important thing about you is what you do, what you achieve, what you accomplish. And because of that, there is a, a proliferation of all kinds of award ceremonies that take place every year. Some of them very well known, some of them announced with great fanfare. Uh, and all of that supports this ethos that it's all about what you do, what you achieve, what you accomplish. So whether it's an Oscar or a BAFTA, whether it's Sports Personality of the Year or Pie Maker of the Year, it's all about what you do, what you have to show for it, and to receive accolades for it is considered the epitome of a successful life. Now, productive, fruitful labour is a good thing. It's a godly thing. An honest day's work performed with diligence and with integrity is an honourable thing in God's eyes. However, in, in this world which has fallen into great wickedness, uh, sinful men and women have got their priorities all twisted. And we read in the Bible about the way that the world has got all of its priorities completely upside down. And for the Lord's people to follow after that pattern is a very foolish thing to do. And so it says things like this, Psalm 37, a little that a righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked. In the Proverbs, in the house of the righteous, there is much treasure. It's got nothing to do with uh, what you own, all, all the, the, the goods that you have. In the house of the, of the righteous, in righteousness itself, there is much treasure. But in the revenue of the wicked is trouble. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. And many people who have great treasure have all kinds of troubles. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted calf. That's a way of talking about a great feast with hatred. Better a dry morsel with quietness quietness of soul than a house full of feasting with strife. Better is the poor who walks in integrity than one perverse in his ways, even though he be rich. Ecclesiastes, better a handful with quietness than both hands full together with toil and grasping for the wind. 
in the world, the end goal is everything. For the Christian, being able to discern whether you should even be going there and what kind of character you will display along the way if you do, that's what's important. The kind of person that you are is of far greater importance to God than anything that you think you're able to do. And that should fill you with a holy relief. Because it doesn't matter, you see, what you think you can or can't do and get all worked up about that. Because it's, it's about the kind of person that you are. And you see, when you come to Christ, God at work in you, he can make you to be the kind of person that you need to be. And he can make you to be the kind of person that you know you need to be. And so every single Christian in Christ can be who they're supposed to be. That's a wonderful thing. The Beatitudes which open this chapter, they're all about the kind of character you should have before God as his child. And of course that character will and should spill over into your words and your actions. But those words and actions will be as a window into your character. And as Jesus continues his sermon he says that these he's been talking about in verses 3 to 12, that they also ought to be like salt and light in the world. And why does, why does he choose those two things as his example, salt and light? Well, of course, it's because salt and light affect their immediate environment, don't they? They affect the things that are around them. They affect the things that they touch. And so should we in Christ. The world will react against you, verses 10 to 12. But even when that's the case, you are to be having an effect upon the world. Verses 13 to 16. You're to be salt and light in the world. And I want to consider this under three headings, and this is the first, hope for the perishing. You as a Christian are hope for the perishing. Now, most people are familiar with the basic characteristics of salt and light, and I guess that's why Jesus didn't choose something really obscure. He chose something that was obvious and clear and could, and could easily be understood. What he's saying here is meant to be clear and obvious. Uh, but actually, if you're anything like me, uh, in your Christian life, it's often the things that are the most clear and the most obvious that often I find the most difficult and are the greatest challenge, at least to do them well and to do them consistently well. 
But it's clear and, and it's obvious and it's meant to be. Because the most basic use that salt is put to is to prevent things from perishing. And of course, particularly foodstuffs. It prevents things from perishing. And Christians are, are kept in this world for a time in order that through us, people might see and know that there is hope for the perishing. This world is perishing. People all around you are perishing. And the Bible speaks of perishing both in the present tense and in the future tense. People are perishing right now in the present tense in the sense that as they continue in their sins, they are accruing and accumulating sinful deed upon sinful deed and sinful thought upon sinful thought. And that final perishing is growing and building and growing and building. And all the time, day by day, they are perishing in their sins. All, all of it's being recorded in heaven. One day, all will be judged according to their deeds. And so the degree to which they are perishing is growing all the time. Every single one of us outside of Christ is perishing more and more day by day. So in 1 Corinthians, in the opening chapter, we read this, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, the power of God. 2 Corinthians, same kind of things being said. We are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing they're in the state of perishing right now in their sins. If our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. It's their present condition. Now, yes, they are carrying on on their own merry way, totally oblivious to the fact, and even if you try to tell them, rejecting it. But it's the reality nonetheless. This is the spiritual state of every man and woman outside of Christ. They are right now perishing in their sins. And there is the time in the future when that perishing which has been amassed during their sinful life, it will actually become a reality to them. I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. There is that day coming when that perishing will actually confront everybody. The reality of it will dawn on that day when Christ returns and they will perish forever. To perish is to receive from God the eternal condemnation and punishment that your sins deserve. It's to be on the receiving end of God, pouring out his wrath against sinners. But there's hope, isn't there? There is hope for the perishing. God has so loved the world that he sent his only son into the world that whoever believes on him might not perish. There is hope 
for the perishing. And we are to be salt and light in this world because we are to let the world know there is hope. There is hope. Jesus said, I give them eternal life. John chapter 10. They shall never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. There is hope for the perishing. I wonder, do you know where you stand this morning in terms of these truths? Are you still right now perishing in your sins? Or are you filled with this hope that all has been dealt with for you through the Lord Jesus Christ? And to the church and to all Christians, this gospel has been entrusted. And it's a message which is the power of God to salvation, that sinners might not perish. Our commission is to be salt in the world, to hold forth the word of life, to point a perishing world to the Saviour, that they might perish no more by believing on him. And maybe there are people here this morning and you know that right now, what, what is your condition spiritually before God? Maybe you know, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm one of the perishing ones. Well, there is hope for you this morning and you don't have to walk out that door later on still perishing. You can walk out of that door this morning knowing that you will never perish because now you are in Christ. If you will believe on him, You see, this is an issue of eternal life or death. And that's why Christians and that's why Christian churches need to remain salty in the world. Because the world needs this message. The world needs this hope. The proclamation of Christ needs to be kept distinct and clear. The doctrines of the gospel need to remain intact, uncompromised, true to the word. Opportunities to make Christ known, need to be grasped and taken with both hands. Opportunities to speak need Christians who'll be bold because you're salty and you'll speak when you can, whether, when there is an opportunity to be bold and unflinching in making known the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It has to be done with urgency. It has to be done at every opportunity. The world is perishing and only we, with an open Bible in our hands as we proclaim Christ, have that which can bring their perishing to an end as we point them to the Saviour and say to them, go to him. Just like the little girl in Naaman's household. I can tell you where you can find hope. That's our, that's our commission today. I can tell you where you can find the hope you need. Are you a salty Christian? Are we a salty church? Hope for the perishing. Number two, comfort to the despairing. Comfort to the despairing. Read through the Gospels and you'll discover many people who found great comfort when they came face to face with Christ. Salt is equated with purity and with the bestowing of flavour and that which is good. 
Many looked at Christ in their sins and they saw in him that which they knew they needed. This world produces so much turmoil and distress. And people in turmoil and distress came to Christ and found in him the thing their soul needed. He was accused on occasions by those who opposed him of being a friend of sinners, as that was a a dreadful accusation to be able to bring against him. And that was because so many who were distraught because of the ravages of sin in their lives, they found in Jesus that which brought them comfort and hope. People never found that when they looked to the Pharisees. The Pharisees were only concerned about themselves. That's often the way it is when people are living their lives in such a way that it's all about justifying me. Theirs was a self-righteousness. Theirs was a self-accomplishment religion. And no one found any comfort in that in the land of Israel. All they did was stood and condemned everybody else because they weren't up to the mark. Not like I am. Well, that's no good for anyone. That doesn't bring anyone comfort. Self-righteousness only condemns the unrighteous, like that Pharisee that Jesus asks us to imagine praying on the street corner as he exalts himself and pours scorn on all around him. But when you come to Christ, when you come to Christ in repentance and faith, when you've been humbled before him to the... the, to the point where you have had to confess, Lord, there is no good thing in me. There is nothing good in me. All I I can rely on is you and your grace. I have empty hands. I have nothing to bring, nothing to contribute. When your only boast is Christ and Jesus crucified for sinners, when your testimony is I am what I am only by the grace of God and only on account of what he has done in me and for me in Christ. Then truly you will be salt in this world. Then people will find in you someone who they can come to, someone who they can look at and say, there's a comfort there that they have that I don't. There's a comfort there that I know I need that I can't find anywhere else. When they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven, well then it's clear that the salt hasn't lost its saltiness and you're having the impact in the world that the Lord calls you to have. Here's a Christian and their life is being overwhelmed by the work of the Holy Spirit in love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith, and meekness, self-control. That stands out in the world. A salty Christian in a despairing world, and people see in you something different, something better, something real, something true. What's happened in this person's life? What is it that they're holding that I don't have in my hand. What is it that keeps them? 
They see in Christians men and women who are facing all the same struggles that they are. You're not immune from any of their difficulties. But you have an assurance. You have a rest of soul. You have a joyful spirit in the midst of it. And they just don't have that. In this world of covetousness and greed and jealousy and malice and anger and unforgiveness. In a world that thinks the very best thing that could ever happen to this country is if 11 men blowing a bag of wind around a patch of grass tonight can get the ball in the net. That's the best thing that could ever happen in this country. Do you not have a message to that? Do you not have a response to that? Do you not have a reply to that? Do you not have a life that says, no, let me tell you about something more than that? Salty Christians, so that people can see the difference. There is something more there is something more. And they can, they can feel it in you. They can see it in you. They can almost touch it in you. Why? Because Christ is in you. He's the one who's made you this salt in the world. In this world of coarseness and lewdness, they're confronted by someone who who simply isn't entertained or impressed by those things. And you stand out from the crowd. What? You're not going to laugh at a joke like that. Nothing remotely funny to laugh at. And you catch them. Well, there immediately, there's your opportunity. Right there, to tell them why. Uh, and standing in front of him, here's a man or woman, and, and here in this person, there is, there is this wholesomeness. There is this uprightness. And everyone can see this actually, this is very good. This is something good in this person. One Christian in an office. One Christian in a classroom is able to have a sanctifying effect on the attitudes and behaviours of others. There's a, a new good flavour being imparted and it's coming from you. There's a wholesomeness, there's a, a moral uprightness and it causes unbelievers to pause and to question and to think in a way that they've never done before. In a way that no one else has ever made them do that. And that's you as Christ's salt in this world. There's a, there's a, a kindness and a gentleness of a sort that I've never come across before. And, it, and it's, it's emanating out of this person. And, and it's having an impact on people around you. Because you are salt in the world. 
There's something attractive about your, your nature. You put people in a quandary because they've heard you talk about certain things that they just cannot, cannot bring themselves to agree with. But wow, something about them though that, that draws me to them nonetheless and, and you put them in a real quandary. What is it about this person? There's something, something about you that people can see as genuine and good. And this will at times give you opportunity to engage with them and explain what it is about you that's happened. Well, let me explain. It's not about me at all. Let me tell you about him. You have unconverted friends. You have unconverted colleagues. You have unconverted people in your families. And they need someone who will be to them a friend of sinners, like Jesus was. Not someone who will simply judge and condemn them, but someone who will love them, someone who will care for them, someone who will be a real Christian to them and with them, sharing with them the grace and the love of God in Christ. And one who, above everything else, by your attitudes and actions, will point them to the Saviour and commend Christ to them. They're seeing in you someone who doesn't just claim to know things about God, but someone in whom God dwells. There is actually a godliness about you because the Spirit of God is within you. And it's Him they see. If you are a born-again follower of Christ, in whom Christ dwells by his Spirit, how can you be anything other than salt in the world? Salt, which loses its saltiness, cannot be re-salted. It just has to be thrown out. It seems to me that there, there are two very real possibilities here with what's being said. The first is that this is describing the Christian whose life is so bland and insipid that they lose all usefulness. Like the lukewarm Christian in the Laodicean church in Revelation chapter 3. Stay like you are and Christ will vomit you out of his mouth. But that letter comes with a call to repent and to be the church that God has called you to be. To be the Christian God has called you to be. So if you know that's you, lacklustre, insipid, lukewarm, well, use this heed from the Scriptures today and, and give yourself again to be the kind of Christian that you know you should be. Not by you trying harder, but by you simply getting down on your knees and giving yourself afresh to Christ so that he can do it in you, for you, through you once more. But if you don't, if you just are this lukewarm, unsalty, insipid, who knows what, Well, maybe the fact is, well, the problem for you is you've never actually been a Christian in the first place. And you've been around salty people. But you yourself, you're not salt at all. 
this grace of God, it's never had its true sanctifying effect within you. You can't possibly maintain these Christian graces because the grace of God is not within you. You don't have this vital communion with Christ by his Holy Spirit. You never were born again. You never were converted. That which appeared to be salt like the life in the seed in the parable of the, the soils that first appeared, well, it looks like there's something there. But no. That which appeared to be a trace of saltiness in you all too soon disappears. Well, these simple verses are a real bugle call. They're a rallying cry for all of us to be in Christ what men and women can be in Christ. If you're a Christian, if right now you're unconverted, to turn to the Lord, to confess our sins, to humble ourselves before him, to cry out to him, make me to be the man or woman of God that in Christ you alone can make me to be. to be in the world but to show people that you are of another kingdom and that you live for this other kingdom's king to be in the world but for it to be evidence to all that in the midst of their darkness in you they can see light and that leads us on to our final point that in all of us who know the Lord, there needs to be a shining that's unfailing. A shining that's unfailing. Hope for the perishing. Comfort to the despairing. Because of a shining that's unfailing. The Apostle Paul would say this to the Ephesian church in chapter 5 of his letter therefore be imitators of God as dear children walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma fornication uncleanness covetousness let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting which are not fitting but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, no fornicator, unclean person, covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. In other words, live salty lives. Let no one deceive you with empty words because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, don't be partakers with them. You were once darkness. Your condition was so bad that you weren't just in darkness. You were the darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. It's a very important three words. 
You are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Walk as the children you now are. In the light of God. We are to be imitators of God by means of that light which we have become in him. Who you now are in Christ. The one who is the light. You now have that light in you. We are not the source of the light. The one who is the light dwells in our hearts and his light is seen in us. We are bearers of this gospel light. It's not a self-produced light. It is a spirit-enabled light. It is a God-given light. And the whole point here, of course, is how evident and unmissable Christians should be in the world. How can you miss a light in the pitch dark? A city set on a hill. You simply cannot miss it. There it is. It's not camouflaged in any way. It could not be more conspicuous. It's there. You cannot help but notice it. You cannot help but have your eye drawn to it. That's how Christians should be in this world, says Jesus. Imagine a city set deep down in a valley. You could be searching for days until you stumble across it almost by accident. So difficult is it to see. That ought not to be you as a Christian. That ought not to be you in your classroom, in your office, in your home, in your street. People saying, well, apparently there's a Christian somewhere, but I'll be blown if I can see them. Anyone seen a Christian? Any, anyone managed to spot them? You know, like those Where's Wally drawings? And they all look the same. And you can't find Wally anywhere because they all look the same. How is it for us? As we go about our daily duties day by day, do we just look the same? Can, can anyone spot a Christian here? Can anyone see anyone who has signs of the life of Christ within them? Surely it ought not to be that way. And that's what Jesus is saying. No, it shouldn't be that way. In the fullness of Christ and his light, you're, you're a city set on a hill. Well, of course. There it is. How can you not see that? When it goes dark in the evening, you turn on the light. Why do you turn on the light? Well, what a stupid question to ask. You think. Well, why do you turn on the light? Well, it's because you want the whole room to be illuminated. You want everything in that room to receive the benefit of the light. And you are to shine in the room where God has placed you. If you want, if you want, if you want to light up a city at night, if you want there to be light for everyone in the city of Liverpool when it goes dark, what do you do? 
What you don't do is put one giant big light right in the middle of the city and hope that it'll reach everyone. Because there's going to be dark corners and shadows everywhere. No, what you do is you put little, little lights all over the city. You put street lamps down every street so that wherever people go, there's light. And the one who is the light has put us in the world to be those little lights. But what a difference they make. You ever been visiting somewhere where there's no street lights? The blackness, the darkness hits you. Light. Shining in the room where God has put you. To light an entire house, you just put a little light in every room. You and I are to shine in the room where God has placed us. And we shine by living out all of the graces and virtues which take over the soul of one who's been born again. One who's become a new creation in Christ Jesus. You let your light shine. People see your good works. They glorify your Father in heaven. A lamp is produced and purchased and used for a very specific reason. There's nothing random about it. This place of darkness needs to be lit. And so the lamp is put there, so that that lamp, once lighted there, once positioned there, may give full benefit of its light, so that that light may be received. And that's you in God's hand and in the place and in the places where he puts you. There's a place of darkness here and that's where I'm going to put you so that you may spread forth my light, the light of the gospel and the light of Christ. He's put you there with his light within you so that you may bear light there. The light and the love and the grace of Christ and his gospel that it might be seen and felt and known there. And all who walk into that place cannot fail to see and notice the light. Paul to Philippians in chapter 2, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not as in, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. It's God. Do all things without complaining, without disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. In other words, be salt in the world, among whom you shine as lights, Paul, Paul's understood it. Holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I've not run in vain and laboured in vain. Blameless, harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom 
you shine as lights in the world. Some of you might be thinking, well, Ian, I know that I should. I'm just not sure that I can. You don't have to. It is God. It is God who works in you. Both to will. I'm not sure. I wake up in the morning, I just don't have the motivation to do it. No, God will give you the will to do it. But I'm not sure what to do or how to do it. No, God will give you what you need to do. God who works in you. So ask him. Ask him. Lord, this needs to be me. This needs to be me when I go home. This needs to be me when I wake up tomorrow morning. This needs to be me in my place of work tomorrow. This needs to be me in my classroom tomorrow. Tell him. Ask him. Do you think think God won't listen to prayers like that? Do you think God isn't waiting to hear his people call out to him with requests like that? Ask him. He'll hear you. He'll answer you. He'll help you. It's what God does. It's who God is. Let's resolve this morning that we will let our light so shine before men that they will see the works that we do in Christ, through Christ, because of Christ that they may glorify our Father who is in heaven. It is of God. Take it to him. He'll hear. He will answer. He will strengthen. He will enable. Of that you can be sure.